Hi there. Before we start, if you're new to our podcast, thank you for tuning in to our show, and we hope you will stay with us for a very long time. And if you're a regular listener, thank you so much for your continuous support throughout this period of uncertainty. We're really grateful for all of your kind words and encouragement. It has really helped this podcast to grant a great exposure, as our mission is to create perspectives. By the people who look like us, and the women, and also people who are marginalized historically, to the sideline of conversations. So, you haven't already? We encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Omni, Apple, Google, or Spotify, and of course, leave a rating and a review if you like. We also welcome engagement through our Facebook and Instagram platforms. We truly appreciate the support from you to help us to increase the visibility of different perspectives. Enjoy today's show. Hey, y'all! This is Jessie. <laughs> Hi, this is Helen. And this is Asian Bitches Down Under. It is a new segment called Therapy Tuesdays. Helen, tell us about it. Take the floor. Yeah. So I well, we came up with this、um, idea jointly because Jess got me a set of card games for my birthday this year, and it's called. The therapy game. <laughs> it's just very basic name. Yeah, it's from yeah. Elaine Botton's、uh, School of Life. Yes.、Um, so it's a card game contains、uh, five types of cards, and the goal of this game is pretty much like when you're going to a therapy session, when you are one of you is a client and one of you is the therapist, whereas the therapist will、mm. be listening and the client will be speaking honestly about. Any questions that came out of the therapist? So I'll just go through briefly of the instructions that I've got in front of me. It says that sit with a friend in a comfortable spot with a clear stretch of time ahead of you. One of you is the therapist role, the listener, and the other is the client role, the answerer. This can be reversed in another session. Make sure you have both read the guidance notes. Be sure to remember this is not a real therapy. This is a chance to talk and to listen properly.、Mm. So we want to do this game because since you know we have extended our lockdown, of course, and we really want to keep the conversation open between not just us. I hope that you know by listening to our episodes, that our listeners can kind of get some engagement. With your family or friends as well, you know maybe more. Yeah.、Um, you might want to go out and purchase this game and play it with your family and friends, but、uh, we will be doing one or more questions in each episode. Hmm. Yeah, it's just a, like Helen and I both, and all my friends actually are really into kind of self-interrogatory、mm-hmm. games, and、um, Elaine de Botton's School of Life is famous for these kind of activities where you. Are given really, really amazing questions to really self-reflect on all aspects of your life. It could be romance, sex, career, personal life, childhood, parenthood. All these kind of that's right universal themes.、Uh, mm-hmm. They're really vastly delved into with that school of life、um, mm-hmm. philosophy. So if you don't know, Elaine de Botton is this like pop philosopher,、um, famous in the last twenty years for having. Kind of speaking,、um, speaking on and writing a lot of books about how philosophy can be utilized in our everyday、mm-hmm. lives. Definitely. So within the card game pack, 
there are two cards. Um, the one prompt card for the listeners, just some advice for the listeners. You know, mm. the role of the therapist, it says that when you're in a listening mode, your job doesn't end with the initial question you ask. It helps greatly to follow up with the smaller additional questions. Our favorite ones are, how did that make you feel? Why do you think that might be? And can you say a little bit more about how that was for you? And mm. as for the answer, um, speaking about the most intimate things can be both huge relief and at times a source of anxiety or uncertainty. Some questions here might feel a bit unfamiliar or awkward. Here are a few key things to remember. Firstly, this is an interview or an exam. Only answers what feels fun, interesting and important. You're not being judged, just understood. And uh, it says here everything is confidential. So obviously we're recording and having this on air on our podcast. It's not going to be confidential. But of course, we'll go through no, the yeah. questions that if both of us or either of us don't feel comfortable of answering, we'll no, we just w- you know, we wouldn't talk, talk about, about it. it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and none of what none of what Helen and I talk about will be incendiary, or um, you know, talk, we will try and not talk about people who are not, you know, um, involved That's in this right. conversation. Yes. You know, anything outside of yeah. me and Helen, um, and obviously, um, if these. Um, anything that we talk about uh, is quite sensitive and it's just really a way for us to play this in self-interrogatory game. Um, and mm-hmm. if you're listening at home and it brings up, you know, uncomfortable feelings or brings up or resurfaces uh, uncomfortable or traumatic experience from your experiences from your past, then obviously we would say, you know, seek a um, medical, uh, a professional medical person. Yes. Um, and we always, uh, Helen and I are both extremely pro-therapy, mm-hmm. extremely pro-therapy. Yeah, we're big advocates for mental well-being and it is really important that if you don't feel comfortable, if you feel triggered, that you really need to speak to someone who could help you directly. Exactly. So should we launch into the first okay. question today? And we're only going to do one question for each episode because it's like the point of these episodes are um, they're short snippets um, for you to think about the uh, the questions that are asked um, mm-hmm. in your own life. You okay, know? so there are five categories, uh, self, anxiety, work, relationships, and sex. Which one do you think we should start mm-hmm. first? I wouldn't feel comfortable about talking about sex for now. <laughs> so Yeah, well, um, let's go with career. I'm going to go with career today. Okay, work. Okay. So Helen has like about 50 or 10, 100 cards in front of her. She's going to randomly select from the category of work. Uh, where's the work? Okay. So I'm just going to shuffle the cards of for work and then pick one. Okay. I don't know if I can answer the work one because I, I'm not you involved are. in... Stop belittling, Stop <laughs> belittling, belittling yourself. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, I think we've talked about this before. Okay. I haven't played this game with you, so... Okay, so the question is, how has your past influenced your attitudes to authority? Oh, okay, yeah, I think we have done this. Yeah. Um, that's a great question. How has my past influenced my attitude to authority? Okay, I, um, I'm very anti-authority. Like, as in, mm-hmm. I am very someone who's very uncomfortable taking orders. Um, yes. I think because I grew up with in, in, in quite a conservative household where... A good child means um, someone who obeys rules. Um, I was able, I think, to 
exercise a, a degree of defiance in that because I was mm-hmm. a fourth child. Yes. Um, but I mean, I just think the way I was raised, like uh, I think that my dad had a lot to do with um, questioning authority because, um, mm-hmm. yeah, because dad. Helen and I share the same dad. Um, he is like he. Part of the reason he said he moved us from Taiwan to Australia was because he hated the way in which like uh, the education system in Taiwan ran. It's quite mm-hmm. robotic and militaristic, and he didn't see that his he didn't want his. This is his words, obviously. He said that he didn't want kids, his kids, to grow up in a kind of. Um, education system where um, your ability to memorize or wrote memorize mm-hmm. um, facts was the way in which you succeeded in life mm-hmm. he was much more um, he was much more focused and he valued creativity and um, diverse and sort of neurologically diverse thinking mm-hmm. and so like um, when you are someone when when you have someone like that as your father I think for me like um, that has always, made me think um i am someone who wants to carve their own way through through life you know um and make mm-hmm. up my own system of working mm-hmm. yeah what yeah. about you i think i have similar feelings uh compared to you i think the order of our birth might differ mm. a little bit of our feeling towards authority yes yes um firstly because i'm the the firstborn and when I was growing up, I don't think I had experienced as much authority, um, probably only in Taiwan. But let me just give me a give me a moment. Let me think. Mm. I think my past, the my the the main part of the past that has influenced my attitude towards authority. I can divide it into two sections. First one is the life in Taiwan, mm. like you said, how you describe our mm. dad's words. And then the second part will be in Australia, which is really different because I don't feel as much authority that I faced in Australia while growing up in school. Mm. Um, because I just see a lot of kids around me, especially the white kids, that they feel free to challenge the teachers. Mm. As in they question, they openly ask the question. But because my first 10 years in Taiwan kind of taught me that you have to listen to the teachers and you don't question the authority. So this is the bit of differences between you and me because I was kind of semi-ingrained into that mm. kind of attitude of not questioning. So I don't think I wouldn't challenge the um, authority, but I just don't feel like I needed to or I don't feel comfortable yeah, I think because I'll still ask later. Like I, yeah. I need to find f- my confidence a lot more yeah. later in life. Like mm. say the past two decades, once I turn eighteen, that I slowly regain my confidence and mm. understand that there is a space for me to mm. challenge and question. Then, yeah, because yeah. it must be very hard as the as the eldest of four children, um, this mm-hmm. responsibility that you should basically be good at ticking all the boxes mm-hmm. or yeah. like at least fulfilling the duties in which have been bestowed upon you as the eldest child, because you are automatically because of, uh, because of your status, you know, your mm-hmm. place as the first child, um, yeah. there's this idea that um, people look up to you, that even though it's not, you know, even though you didn't ask to be, situated in that mm-hmm. position p- 
purely because of that um, position in which you came in the family. You're the eldest. You have responsibilities that the um, younger children do not have. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really, really interesting. This idea of like, because we, I mean, where do children learn about authority? The first place they learn about authority is in the family, is within the family dynamic. Family, the parents. Yeah. Yes, the parents and how they engage in that sense of, you know, what to listen to, what boundaries that you need to follow and what boundaries mm-hmm. you need to sub- um, subscribe to and what are the places in which you can defy those boundaries. And so I have to say, um, I've, I must, I found it much easier to defy authority and mm-hmm. to and to be this person who was like, yeah, I don't care about um, fulfilling those things that people tell me to fulfill because I am the fourth person in the in the family, the fourth mm-hmm. child, so to speak. Yeah. What about at workplace? Yeah. In saying that, because this question is coming out from the category of work. Yeah. Of work, how yeah. does that reflect on your? You know what it? It really depends. Um, on what because I work across a lot of different like um, spaces. Mm-hmm. It really depends on which side of my work. Like sometimes, like I remember when I was a teacher, I there were parts of my job where I really just wanted someone to tell me what to do, mm-hmm. and then conversely, there were other parts of my job where I really just did not want to be told what to do. So, like for instance, um, you know, I appreciated when someone said, "Okay, um, we're having a concert, and this is the stuff I need from you." You know, I need. Um, two carols, Christmas carols from your junior string ensemble. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, like someone, I like being given directions or instructions that are very clear in what is needed from me. Yes. But then if it's like micromanagerial kind of um, instructions, like um, when someone actually dictates what exactly it is I have to teach mm-hmm. in my classes, like to the to the song or to the actual text of a book, for instance, um, then I don't like that. You know, it really just mm-hmm. depends to what degree and what um, area of my teaching um, or, sorry, in my work life mm-hmm. that that uh, corresponds to. Yeah, I see. Well, for me, I think the work that I've have been has been all very equal position. So I haven't mm. come across with any, like, supervisors or boss or whoever who's higher than me on the hierarchy has micromanaged mm. me and mm. therefore that I don't feel like uh, I need to challenge authority because I had right. the freedom yeah. and the space to express what I want to do. Mm. But in, sen- in, in saying so, how about exercising authority on your position? Oh, I'm very uncomfortable. I'm very mm-hmm. uncomfortable doing that. I hate, I hate telling people what to mm-hmm. do. I hate giving advice. I hate... <laughs> I just hate anything to do with like um, exercising authority. That's why I'd be, that's why, that's the part of teaching. I was a teacher for 10 years mm-hmm. before I became a journalist. Um, it was most un- that was the most uncomfortable part of teaching, that you needed this air of like um, sort of superiority mm. in when you enter the classroom. It's not really superiority. It, and, and it's really strange, Helen, because I know myself that when I am a student in a class, it doesn't matter if, it's, if I'm in a yoga studio or if I'm in an art studio, or if I'm in a writing Mm -hmm. workshop. If I'm in the classroom, I want a teacher who's very, very, like, confident, and I want a Mm -hmm. teacher who tells me what to do. Like, okay, sit down, let's think about this, let's write. Like, someone who has clarity and direction Mm -hmm. about where the class is going, you know? But Mm -hmm. myself, as a teacher, I feel like I just... 
I labor when it comes to thinking about telling people how to do something or what to do. And that's why I think I'd be such a terrible... I think that's why, that's part of the reason why I'm not so sure about um, being, being uh, a teacher, um, a, pa- a parent. A parent, okay. Like, I think you need to, as a parent, I think you need some degree of like authority, or I don't know if authority is the word, but being able to be comfortable in telling someone what to do. It could be, you know, go get dressed, um, go put on your shirt, um, go put on your sneakers don't go mm-hmm. on that bike or don't ride on the road or like these instructions I find it doesn't come naturally for me I guess if I become a parent it'll just you know I'll just get used to it but mm. um but I don't like exercising authority I hate it so much I hate people telling people what to do um and and that's why like when I saw this is related to our episode last week mm-hmm. when Helen and I talked about the chair mm-hmm. when Sandra O oh, um becomes a man- manages a English department in a liberal mm-hmm. arts college in America. Yeah, I think I can't think of a worse job in the world than a managerial job because you're ostensibly um, managing people. You're mm-hmm. like telling people what to do. You're um, troubleshooting. Yeah, it's just it's uh, I, it's just horrendous. I, I can't think of a worse job. Like no one can pay me enough money to manage a group of people. I do not care about like human relations. I just I want to work with ideas. I don't want to work <laughs> with human beings. Yeah, it's very difficult. I think there is a fine line between authority and giving instructions of discipline, I guess, like from both of our own experience that we've both been in the education industry. I found it hard to I don't think I have that aurora around kids to demand them to to tell to ask them to do something. Whereas it's definitely very diff- different to my kids, but mm. I feel uncomfortable of telling students to do something as well, which is very hard mm. when it comes down to when you express that you prefer a teacher who's confident and tell you and give you guidelines. I can all do that, but I don't have that. I can't find a word in English. There's a qi chang, as in the... Yeah, what does that mean? Like, another word for attitude, as in when mm. there's a sense of atmosphere when someone goes into the room and you feel yeah. in, immediately whether or not that you get intimidated by this specific person or you feel like, mm. this is a person I can trust. Yeah, yeah. I don't have that kind of uh, atmosphere that I can send it out to my students. Right. I, I think yeah. most of like well, I believe or most of our students that really enjoy my class, but I don't think that it was necessary for me to send out those or convey Vibes. such messages that I have authority. Yeah. That's why you need to listen yeah, yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. What an interesting question to start off our <laughs> Tuesday therapies, Ther- to- to therapy Tuesdays. Tuesday. <laughs> Remember, we're releasing these every Tuesday. Yeah, stay tuned for new episodes coming up from every Tuesday. We'll have one Mm. or more questions every episode. And, of course, we encourage you to, you know, open this conversation with your friends and family and you might find something surprising. Yeah, absolutely. Use this uh, lockdown time to learn more about yourself, guys. We encourage that. Okay, so we'll end the episode here today. And And take care, guys. Stay safe and take care.